I just want to uh, follow up on a couple of things that Dave mentioned. There are two sign-up sheets in the back relating to what we're doing down the street in the projects. One is a January 19th outreach, one day, one day outreach that we're going to have on a Saturday. Anyone who would like to come and join us on that Saturday, it's going to be for two hours and it's sort of going to be a get to know Calvary Chapel in the community over there. Invite them, uh, their kids actually, to uh, a Friday afternoon Bible study that we're going to have for the kids. It's not only a Bible study, it's a Bible program. There's going to be games, there's going to be activities, and we're going to be building up these uh, little girls and boys with the hope of Jesus uh, there over at, uh, in the projects. And so that's one sign-up sheet. And then the other sign-up sheet is for anyone who's interested in continuing on on Friday afternoons. Uh, we're going to be from 3.30 to 5 each Friday afternoon having this Bible program. And uh, if you'd like to join those folks, or if, even if you're interested in either of, the, either of these things, uh, sign up. We'll be having a meeting today for, the, um, for both of those things uh, about uh, an hour after, the sur- uh, hour after the service. Also, please pray for me as at the end of this week, my daughter Adlai and I will be traveling down to Haiti to hope, uh, hopefully prepare for a missions trip that we're going to be taking to Haiti later on in the year, actually uh, sooner rather than later on in the year. We're thinking about April or May. Also, we will be going to Peru in, in the third week of August as well. So be praying about those things if you're interested in those things. But I would appreciate your uh, prayer, you know, after I turn 40, anything that I eat, it does something to my stomach, you know, and something else happens when I cross the U.S. borders that uh, I won't get into too much detail, but pray for our health, pray for our security, uh, pray for uh, mostly that uh, the Lord would just give me his vision for what, um, what he has for our church down there. It's always a, a humbling thing to think that for some reason, God wants us to do something, you know, travel somewhere, because it could just as well be the other way around. I mentioned this last summer. It could just as well that we'd be in the same place as, as the men and women, the children of Haiti, and they could be coming to us. Actually, some of them are. Some of them do come. There's some here in Boston declaring the Word of God. But, but uh, it's a humbling thing, but the Lord does use us on these on these missions trips that's what um we've learned so very clearly so please pray for adelaide and i this week we're leaving on thursday afternoon we're coming back on the following tuesday okay please rise for the reading of god's word we are in second corinthians chapter one Second Corinthians chapter 1, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through Second Corinthians. Verse 12, this is the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity 
and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand, even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, Lord, every bit of it. And God, because every bit of us needs it, Lord. And we just confess and agree to that this morning with just one mind and one heart. We just agree, Lord. We need your word. We need you. We came here because we need you, Lord. And Father, anyone who's here who doesn't know that, I pray that you would show them that in a loud and clear way this morning. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the new year, that you have a plan for us this year, Lord. We thank you for 2007, Lord, and everything, uh, every good and perfect thing that came from your hand in 2007, Lord, and we know that a lot more is in store for us this year, Father. We want to be, be prepared by your spirit, through your word. We pray that you do that work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So verse 12 says this, we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity. In simplicity. You know, one of the criticisms of Calvary Chapel pastors is that our messages are too simple. And this is something that actually we hear on a regular basis. You know, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we read a verse, we teach on it, and then we move to the next one. I mean, can't you get a little bit more creative? (laughs) You know, and Chuck Smith, uh, who started the first Calvary Chapel, he uh, has probably had to endure and receive more than anyone. People know about Chuck. He started the first Calvary Chapel in the early 70s, and now there's over 1,800 in the United States and many, many hundreds uh, of others throughout the world, and they hear Chuck is going to be in their part of the country, and they think, wow, you know, this guy, we need to go see this guy, and so they travel many miles to go see him, he's in their region uh, speaking, and, I, and I've heard this, and they show up, and, and Chuck is speaking and teaching there, and they're expecting to see this incredibly dynamic, charismatic kind of guy, and they leave dis- disappointed. And they, and, and they say to themselves, I just don't understand what all the fuss is all about. What's all the fuss about? There's this guy who's kind of short, and he's uh, just up there, and he's monotone, and he's uh, a little boring. He's just uh, teaching verse by verse. Yep, you're right. It's just a guy with a deep voice just uh, chat, re- teaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But, you know, when I hear this type of criticism, I'm always very encouraged because I say we're in good company. I say we're in pretty good company. Again, 
the Apostle Paul says, uh, verse 12, he says, we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. Verse 13, for we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Let the Bible be declared in a way that the people understand it so they can be built up. And the word simplicity there in verse 12, actually it's the opposite of the Greek word for duplicity. Uh, And so one sort of meaning of the word is that he's being honest in the way that uh, he lived and taught. Uh, But also here, I believe that it's also speaking to, in the context here, these two verses, 12 and 13 together, it's talking about the simplicity of his message, as well as the simplicity of his life. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, Paul quotes some of the people who were critical of him, and they uh, said, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. NIV says his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul uh, himself says to the Corinthian uh, church, he says, I resolve to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but God's power. Again, not only was his uh, message simple, but his life was too. He uh, refused to take any money from the church there in Corinth because he didn't want them to ever think that he was working there to to profit from them. So he was a tent maker. He made his own money. He made tents, we see in Acts chapter 18. And and certain people would look at Paul and say, you know, what's all the fuss about here? He's a common laborer, a tent maker. If he's so important and so blessed, why would he be doing that? So the message... And the life, so simple, so uncomplicated, so down to earth. Why? So that their faith might not rest on the men's wisdom, but God's power. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.29 adds, So that no man, no flesh, would glory in God's presence. Meaning no man would take credit for what had uh, happened in Corinth. A wonderful, thriving, powerful church had been raised up in the most unlikely places in the world. Corinth, a city renowned throughout the Roman Empire for its decadence. And and no man could take the credit. Uh, And the only man that could possibly take the credit was Paul, who observers were saying his message is too simple, his life was too common, too unimpressive. So no man could take the credit. No, or as it says in 1 Corinthians one twenty nine. No flesh would glory in the presence of the Lord because of that church. Only Jesus Christ. 
who in Revelation chapter 5 says, even as we speak, even as we're here this morning, he's in heaven and millions upon millions are before him, even as I'm speaking here, declaring, crying out, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And so, you know, we pray that on earth, even as it is in heaven, let God's will be done that Jesus, that no man would get all the glory for what God is doing among us. And so, I just, you know, I just want to open up the the new year uh, as we should open up every day. Just with the very simple message and just even, not even a message, just with a, a thinking about the, just the name, the simple name, Jesus Christ. I just want to focus on that as we open up the, the new year. You know, Jesus Christ, there's power in that name. Napoleon. Anyone here know Napoleon, Emperor Napoleon, the French Emperor? He probably was, not probably, he was responsible for just more death and hardship and misery in the 19th century uh, than any other man. I think second place was a gazillion miles uh, behind him. And, and just... Uh, 20 years of ravaging Europe with senseless wars. He conquered virtually all of Europe. And eventually, though, he was overthrown. He was banished to an exile on a small island off of Africa, St. Helena. And it was there he, he had basically nothing else to do. Isn't it amazing how God sometimes does that to us then? What? Read the Bible. And so this guy who had everything and had figured out how to conquer the world, uh, uh, reads the Bible, and he, it appears he spent the rest of his life marveling about Jesus. Some think he was actually converted. Anyway, during his exile, he wrote this. I quote, this is Napoleon. I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ was not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. But that resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Charlemagne and myself founded Empires. I was thinking that's kind of funny to put your name in with those people, but that's how Napoleon was. <laughs> but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon, upon love, and at this hour, millions of men will die for him. So there's a man who tried it the world's way, and he's by himself on an island somewhere, a very small island, observing that there's power, power in the name, 
in the very simple name, the very simple message of Jesus. John chapter two, uh, 12, rather, verse 32, Jesus, right before he died, said this. He said, if I, even I, am lifted up from the earth, he's referring there to the cross, if I, even I, am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. There's just something about the message of the cross. Actually, it's even simpler. It's just the picture of the cross, the image of the cross. Songs about the cross that draws people. There's power in it. I remember when I was a little boy of seven or eight growing up in Dover, Massachusetts. And my parents brought home the record, Jesus Christ Superstar. And no one in my family was a Christian, so this was among the first exposure I had to Jesus Christ. And even as a young boy, seven or eight, I I used to listen to this, this album. Everyone know what an album or a record in it? You know, are we? Am I that old? Okay, um, I, I I would buy. You know, I would listen to this uh, record and I would uh, put on these big old gigantic white headphones. You know, none of those little wimpy thin things today. You know, I look like a pinhead Martian or something. You know, these things were as big as my uh, head uh, almost. And 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 anyway, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, I'd never recommend it to anyone. It was written by a couple of agnostics. The star of Jesus Christ Superstar is actually Judas. That's, that's a fact. Try and figure that one out. But anyway, I memorized the whole record. It was two records front and back, probably about 40 songs, memorized every one of them. Uh, but you know, for all this album's terrible, terrible faults, and there, were, there are many of them, it does have a moving scene about the crucifixion. You know, both the movie and, you know, and the album ex- itself. And I can remember, even as a boy, seven or eight years old, a young boy, living in a pagan home, weeping, as I listen to that, to the song about the crucifixion. You know, about 10 years ago, Gail Irwin wrote a book. (laughs) And it's just really interesting because it's like reading about me because he has a chapter in there about what? Jesus Christ Superstar, a very short chapter. Gail Irwin, Handbook for Servants. It says this, Brave Mockers. And by the way, the writers of Jesus Christ Superstar, I think it's fair to include those, uh, them among them. Brave markers try throughout the centuries. Modern media suppresses. Every attempt is made to paint Jesus in a bad light. Some truly succeed, but their success simply guarantees that they all fail. What does he mean by that? This is what he means. No matter how you speak of Jesus, the simple fact that you speak of him causes him to win. In the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, (laughs) the writers viewed Jesus through the eyes of Judas. 
this focus, this focus causes many inaccuracies and misrepresentations. However, I am convinced, now this is a pretty big, bold statement here, I am convinced that this rock opera was a major contributor to the revival we call the Jesus Movement. Which is, what's the Jesus Movement? It's the birth of Calvary Chapel and vineyard and a bunch of uh, a number of other churches in whatever manner you speak of jesus he wins the movie made of that musical jesus christ superstar closes with the theatrical crew leaving the desert uh, set and pausing each one of them to look back in deep thought at the three crosses still standing as part of their set that scene alone was enough to grip all but the hardest of hearts. However we portray him, something reaches the depths of our being and yells out, He is truth. He is truth. So whatever whatever the two agnostics were trying to do with their uh, terrible theology and their twisted plot... With Jesus Christ Superstar, they failed miserably. Among other things, they drew a, a small seven- or eight-year-old boy growing up in Dover, Massachusetts to the living God. Now, I don't know how much of you know about Dover, Massachusetts. I know there's a couple out there, but those suburbs west of Boston, <laughs> and you, you are talking about a a stronghold, a bastion of anti-Christian theology out there. And it's it in those suburbs, you know, Dover, Needham, Wellesley, and, 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 and where the Bible's been relegated a hundred years ago uh, to nothing more than a historical curiosity. Nothing certainly that should be taken literally. And, and you would think there's no hope uh, for a boy or girl growing up in that environment. But if, you, if the message of the cross gets in, even the worst intentions, such as, the, uh, as with the movie uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, not only is there hope, there's overwhelming hope. Why? There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in that name, in the simple message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I resolved to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. May have been, may sound a little silly, but some people contemplate this, the smartest guy on the face of the earth at that time. Amazing intellect, Apostle Paul. But he said he resolved to know nothing among you except that simple message. And so I can't tell you how important it is to understand that as we go into the year 2008. You know, in the year 2007, there were three books on the, in, on the New York Times bestsellers list whose stated purpose was to forever bury the Christian faith and replace it with um, atheism. And, and these are bestsellers. Let me read the titles. God is not great. 
by Christopher Hitchens. The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Letter to a Christian Nation. That sounds not so bad, right? Problem is, it's written by a guy named Sam Harris who wrote a book called The End of Faith. So you can imagine what's in it. And again, these are not writings on some fringe website on the internet. They're all on the New York Times uh, bestseller list. And there's another book uh, by a guy who lives right down the street from us. Uh, His name is Daniel Dennett, who wrote a book, uh, Breaking the Spell. You can uh, guess what that's about. And and, and that sold very well as well, though it was not on the bestseller list. And, And, you know, I've not read any of these books, although I have read a lot about them. I've read a a lot of quotations uh, from them. I do do intend, fully intend, uh, to read at least one of them, although from everything I read, they are just uh, filled with the same old, worn-out kind of arguments. For example, you know, uh, after you read one of these type of things, you you always know what you're going to see. You know, they quote a passage in Leviticus, you know. Uh, you get stoned for, you know, committing adultery, and then they point out how outrageous that is without any understanding of the historical or uh, theological or biblical concept of the passage. No discussion of that. And, and you know, they talk about the Crusades, or they quote some wacko a uh, fringe preacher or some hate letter uh, that they received and, and try to make out that that represents everyone in Christianity. And, and you know, they, uh, they use these kind of things. The only dif- difference with these books is that there's a sort of a, a different kind of hostility in there. I mean, they get, they're really, really into name-calling and insulting. And, and it's a tragic, by the way, when Christians are drawn into that. And to start uh, responding in the same way. And anyway, I do want to, I will read one of these because I, I do want to be able to talk with unbelievers uh, about these things and love, en- love them enough to care in that way. But uh, you read this list and it says, God is not great, the, the God delusion, the end of faith, and, uh, uh, which is um, the, the author's stated purpose of a letter to a Christian nation is to demolish the intellectual and moral pretensions uh, of Christianity. And uh, wow, bestsellers and in 2007, you know, what are we supposed to do, you know, with, with this? You know, how are we supposed to react? Uh, we're supposed to shake in our boots. Oh, no. You know, what's the point of even staying in the battle? They're taking over. You know, they're coming. You know, the atheists are coming. You know, it's like that movie, The Birds, you know, Alfred Hitchcock. Anyone really old see that movie from the 60s? You know, all these billions of birds, these seagulls or whatever, and these people are huddled up in a little phone, in a little home, and the birds are like pecking through the wood, and they're like, ah, you know. But it was in 2008, it's going to be the atheists, and they're, ah, they're coming. You know, we better find a, a little cave and hide out with the rest, a few of the others who are, are Christians and just wait to the end of the world, you know. Should that be our reaction? Should that be our reaction? I mean, they are on the bestsellers list, and these people are just the darlings of the media uh, at this point. No. And, and I, you know, I don't believe in all this positive thinking Christian that some Christian preachers uh, hold themselves out, you know, teaching positive theology. But I'm, I'm dead serious when I say, no, that shouldn't be our reaction. We should have a sort of bubbly kind of optimism all over us going into this year. 
And I'm 100% serious. What did Jesus say? He said, if I, even I, am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Let me tell you, it's not a good thing that all of a sudden there's this huge public stir after Jesus has been removed from the school by a bunch of atheists who are now doing what the public schools are not allowed to do. They're raising, they're, they're raising the public consciousness. Who is this Jesus guy? It's like Jesus Christ superstar. And, 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 you know, again, Jesus said, if I even I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And, and all we have to do in the midst of all what is happening is, it, it, the Bible says, is faithfully declare the word of God. Faithfully declare the word of God that Jesus was raised up. He was raised up on a cross to pay the price for your sin and mine, to rescue us from everlasting judgment that is otherwise due us by an ever-holy God. And that He was raised from the dead to give us new life if we continue to declare that faithfully. And and we we will continue to see men and women from all walks of life drawn to Jesus just as He said. That's not going to happen if we go hide ourselves in the cave. And, and, and so, and by the way, that's just what's happening in the country and in, and in the world as, as men and women of God and children are declaring who Jesus is. There are millions coming to him uh, all around the world. Uh, people uh, uh, discovering that that there's is uh, God is alive, that salvation is real, and that and, and, and that it is free through faith in Christ. And in fact, w- what's amazing is that one common theme in these three books, one common theme in these three uh, three actually uh, four books, is that they're just boiling over with frustration that Christianity is doing so well. That's why they wrote the book. And, 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 and it's like, and you, you get this picture as you read the quotations of these guys. They're like pulling their hair out, screaming at the top of their lungs at Christians saying, why are you doing this? This is crazy. You guys are being so foolish. Sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. God has chosen the, What? foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Romans 1 verse 22 says, professing to be wise, they have become fools. Which is, which when you, when you sort of dissect and get to the bottom, um, you know, outside and beneath the surface of what they're declaring it is, it's, it's just foolishness. Jesus Christ, there's power in that name. I agree with Gail Irwin. I believe that though they're on the bestsellers list, so in a sense they're successful, but uh, there's a a good chance that someday these guys are going to be looking back thinking, why didn't I just keep my mouth shut? And who knows what kind of Jesus movement, what kind of revival these guys are creating. Uh, and so, but anyway, by the way, uh, you know, before I move on, you know, you may ask, well, if everything you're saying is true, why is it that these books are on the bestsellers list? There is a reason for that. There is a growing number of people uh, in this country and in this world who they're seeking, they're searching for a reason to just throw off 
any accountability in their life from God or anything else or anyone else. And, and, and to, to throw off uh, uh, any kind of moral authority that's, that's keeping them down and preventing them uh, for, from doing what they want. In a word, they, they just want a good excuse to live their wife, life the, the way they want to live. And so they're running to books like this because it gives them the justification to do so. Wow, here is a guy with Ph.D. behind his name. He's got a tweed jacket and a pipe in his mouth, and he has a big beard, and he looks real smart. And he's telling me, there's no God. I like that. And, and so they're running to it. And, and, and so Romans uh, chapter 1 actually uh, it talks about these very people. It says that although they know God exists, Because God makes it clearly evident to them, they suppress the truth even in their unrighteousness, Romans 1 says. And all this to say, I am dead serious. Going into 2008, we can have a bubbly kind of optimism in the face of all of this, knowing that as we declare the good news of Jesus Christ. I was reading this morning, Psalm 92, verse 6. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. As we declare the good news of Jesus Christ, the cross, the death, the resurrection, we know that He will be true to His word as He always is, and He'll draw all men to Himself. Okay, wow. All that from this word simplicity there, In verse 12, Paul says, We conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Then he goes on in verse 13 again, For we are not writing any things to you than what you read or understand. So he's saying, you know, I don't know a lot of... uh, I know a lot of of what we wrote to you was simple and straightforward, but this is our ministry. We're not going to add to the simplicity of our marriage, you know, or of our, um, our, of our message. You know, sometimes in, in counseling, whether it's marriage counseling or anything else, uh, there's just a, there, there's a, a huge big mess in front of me, whether it's I'm talking to one person or two, and uh, the, the, the situation I'm confronted with is clearly dealt with in the Word of God, and I'll read something from the Bible that directly applies to the situation, but you'll hear something like, well, you know, uh, that's just that's what the Bible says. Let's talk about real life. He'll say something more or less like that. But what this verse is saying is, is that, look, we're not writing anything other than the things to you what we read or understand. We can't add. I can't add. I, I've lived long enough to know that it's a waste of time for me to add to the Word of God. Uh, if the Word of God has something exactly on point regarding a situation and they don't want to hear it, I'm not going to try to outdo the Word of God by coming up with something else. It's wasting my breath and wasting their time. Uh, and, and so and that's what Paul is saying here. Then he continues on in verse 13. He says, And now I trust uh, that you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Uh, so when he says that he wants them to get to the point here uh, that, that they are boasting about Paul, he wants them to, to boast just about the simplicity of his life and, and his message. Now, Verse, verses 15 through 17, Paul discusses something 
that uh, I went over in our study of the last chapter of 1 Corinthians that he had wanted to travel to see them after he wrote his first letter. And he actually tells them that in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, that, that he's going to go see them. And so uh, that's what verses 15 through 17 are about. He says, and, thi- and in this confidence I intended to come to you before. So he's, he's saying that I, I really did want to come and see you. I haven't been able to, but I really did want to. That you may have a second benefit uh, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning to do this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. What he's trying to say here is that I was not being indecisive. I was not talking out of both sides out of my mouth on one side saying yes and my other, other side of my mouth saying no. We, we all know people who are like this. Some of us are like this, you know. Say one thing out of one side of our mouth and we say something out of uh, another. It's part of our fallen nature that we need to be saved from. But Paul's saying that was not the spirit in which I told you that I was coming to see you. But then verse 18 through 22, he, he, he wants to tell them, though my yes turned out to be no when it came to the subject of me coming to see you, don't confuse that with the promises of God that we preach to you. So he goes on in verse 18 and he says, but as God is faithful, our word to you, meaning about the promises of God, was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So as God works himself through us, uh, we will see his promises all come to pass. Yeah, you know... People have gone through the Bible and counted up all the promises. There's a lot of promises in the Bible to God's children. And someone has said that there you know, were 3,000 of them. If someone wants to do some homework between now and a uh, couple weeks when I'm, I'm back, uh, I'd love for you to just go through and count up all the promises and see if uh, there are 3,000. There's a lot of them. Uh, Some have said there are 3,000. In the New Testament, there are many promises. In the Old Testament, there's many, many, many promises. But uh, also the New Testament is not as long as the Old Testament, but there are promises. He's promised to supply every need you have. The Bible says in Philippians 4.19, God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God has promised that his grace is sufficient for you. There's no promise more important than that, brothers and sisters. My grace is sufficient for you, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God has promised that his children will not be overta- overtaken with temptation. And I hear a lot of people say, you know, I gave into this or that. I just couldn't help it. No. God has promised you that you don't have to be overtaken with temptation, 1 Corinthians 10.13. God, God has promised that all things work together 
for good to those who love and serve him faithfully, Romans 8, 28. Most importantly, Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 5, God has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. You know, I really don't like the whole New Year's resolution thing. It's not that, you know, only 1% of people who make a resolution actually do them. But, you know, resolutions for Christian, you know, what on earth is a Christian waiting for New Year's to do a resolution? I mean, God's telling you to do it now. Do it. You know, okay, if it's New Year's, go ahead and do it then. Uh, and, and, and so, but anyway, I uh, don't want to be a Scrooge, you know. But, uh, you know, what, what God's word um, is telling us to do, we should do it. But, you know, uh, uh, there is... Um, You know, there is, though, a value, not in thinking of what we want to resolve to do in this next year, but there's infinitely more value in, in, in reading God's Word and, and reading about what God has resolved that He wants to do in your life this year. And I can tell you one thing that God wants to do uh, in your uh, life this year. He, more than anything else, He, he wants to change you. This year, he, he wants a much different you at the end of 2008 than who you are today. He wants a different you, a very different you. And not that you're doing bad at all. You may be walking with the Lord, you may have been walking with the Lord for years. Maybe you've been backslidden uh, for, for years. But the point is that he wants a much different you by the end of 2008. His word says that. You know, the Bible says there's no such thing as spiritual digression uh, it, it, when it comes to God's will for your life. Put it simply, there's no such thing as going backward if you're talking about God's will. Now, men, try, men, go, men and women go backward because they choose to. It's never God's will that you do that. The Bible says, uh, it says that it's God's will for you to go faith to faith, grace to grace, strength to strength, and glory to glory. It's a good verses to write down, by the way. Faith to faith, Romans 1.17. Grace to grace, John 1.16. Strength to strength, I love that one, Psalm 84, and glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So God wants a different you at the end of 2008. And, you know, again, uh, this isn't really about New Year's resolutions. It's much more about what God resolved for, for, for you. You know, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are all being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ from glory to glory. That's what God has resolved in his heart for you. A very different you. For me, a very different me. A very different Steve Cole 12 months from now. I love that about the Lord. So that's God's will, his purpose for you in 2008. The only question for 2008 is whether you're going to choose to do that. That's the only question. Whether you're going to choose to do his will, because let me tell you, every day this year, and the word of God also promises this, because because we live in a fallen world, there will be an obstacle put right in front of you. 
And you're going to have to make a choice. Do I let this obstacle stop me from being the man of God, the woman of God that he has made me to be? Or do I live by faith and obey his word and continue to do his will, recognizing that every obstacle was placed there by the hand of God to transform me into his likeness so that I can become the man or woman of God that he's made me to be, so that I can fulfill the purpose that he has for my life. You know, I don't know what the year 2008 is going to bring you. You know, we're not one of those churches who says, you're walking with the Lord, I guarantee you. You're going to have a happy and fun year. You know, I, we're not one of those churches. But we are a church that believes, 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen, meaning they're done in him. You know, and so with every obstacle that's thrown at you every day, and, and let me tell you, again, in the fallen world, uh, there'll be, uh, there will, that, that very thing is going to happen. The Bible says everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's just not talking about being thrown in jail or be losing your job because of your faith. That's talking about the devil, your flesh, and the world throwing their hatchets at you every single day this year. Or what are you going to do when that happens? Let me tell you, for every obstacle, there's a promise. And I just mentioned a couple of them that are so important. His grace is sufficient to walk through it. But more importantly, I will be with you. So what are you going to do? You know, as I close, I just I, I want to give you an example of a guy who resolved in his heart to be the man of God that God had resolved him to be. And so that's what's so important. Not that we make New Year's resolution, but that, that we make, that, that we resolve in our heart to be the men and women that God has resolved us to be. And that is Joseph, you know, just amazing. And, and we can never really get enough of being reminded of his story. He appears to have been the most godly, devoted, obedient son that Jacob had, his 12 sons, by far the most godly, devoted, and, and obedient son. You know, his brothers became jealous of him. They sold him to slave traders who, who brought him to, uh, down to Egypt, who then sold him as a slave. He was sold to Potiphar. Now, what did he do? when he found himself in that situation. Did he say, man, the very people who I should have trusted the most, look what they've uh, done to me. Uh, the very people who should have appreciated them. And the God, why should I ever serve Him anymore? How could He have possibly allowed this? Is that the way He responded? tell you how many times almost a week I hear that from something. How could God let this happen? I was obedient to his word. 
I was going to church. I was in his word. I was, I was praying. And how could God, if he's a God of love, those three books I was talking about earlier, those four books, they're filled with this kind of thing. How could he have done this? How could I be a slave? Rotting away as a slave underneath some pagan. Not a, no one in, within miles who believes in God even. How could, how could he let this happen? But he chose to be the man who God had resolved him to be. And what was that? It, it was a God of promise who was, who was faithful to his promise. And his God had a name. His name was Adonai, which meant master. God the master. And so, and so Joseph had a choice what to do with this obstacle that came in his life. And, 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 and you know, either I am just going to eke out and survive the rest of my life and in my flesh try to make the best of this terrible, terrible life that I have. Or he could just trust in God, live by his word, and, uh, and believe that his master, Adonai, was in control of everything else that his earthly master Potiphar, including what his earthly master Potiphar uh, was in control. And, and, and so what did he do? He lived by the word of God. He was faithful. He was honest. He, he lived by uh, the, the promises of God. And what happened? God exalted him to the highest place in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was one of the most uh, important uh, officials in Egypt. And he was raised to the very top. And what happened? Potiphar's wife started hitting on him. Apparently, in addition to everything else, this guy was a hunk. And, and um, you know, he, 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 he basically walked away each time she made advances toward him. Why? Because he wanted to live by the word of God. He actually told her, how could I do this wicked thing? And so eventually he, he winds, up, winds up running away from her because she really goes crazy and she like grabs his garment. And, uh, and she winds up lying about him. And he gets, what does he do? He, he gets put in prison, in an Egyptian prison. Can you imagine what living in an Egyptian prison was like? And, and you talk about obstacles, but what did he do? Did he say, wait a second, God. I was obedient to your word. I could have slept with that woman. But I didn't. I was faithful to what you've told me to do. And now look what has happened. Let me tell you, this year you will run into time after time. Wait, if I obey God's word, a terrible thing is going to happen to me. But did, did Joseph do that? No, he didn't. Instead, he remembered what his father had taught him, that God had another name in addition to Adonai Master, and it was Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. And so the, he had been taught that the Lord would always provide for him and see him through. And let me tell you, anyone, uh, in, if anyone ever had an excuse to abandon God at this time, it was Joseph. 
He had lived faithfully, not only as a son to, uh, to his father and a brother to his brothers and, and gotten ripped off from them, but, but, but then in just the worst kind of trial in the word, against all logic, he obeyed, uh, obeyed uh, God's word and, and he still found himself in a prison. Now, where's God in all of this? So he's in a prison. What happens? He decides to believe that God is the God who provides and who will see him through. He works, and what do you know? He's the head of the, you know, of the, the team leader of the prisoners or whatever. And two Egyptian officials are thrown into prison, and they're sitting there, and they start having really bizarre dreams, and they uh, come to him, and he says, I can... Uh, know, you know, what your dreams are. And, and uh, he tells one of them, well, guess what? You're going uh, to get uh, killed by Pharaoh. And he turns to the other guy, he goes, you'll be restored to the very price with Pharaoh that, uh, that, you, came, that you were before you came here. And so he tells the one guy who's going to be restored to Pharaoh, but please do me this one favor remember me when you're restored. Remember me. So the one guy's gone and he's uh, executed and the other guy's restored to Pharaoh. What happens? Completely forgets about Joseph. Completely forgets. Again, what did he do? Did he say, now, again, Lord, I, 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 I was a good son and brother, and I was betrayed trying to live by your word. I was a good uh, slave and, and obeyed your word, and, and then you brought me here, and, and I was faithful here and obeyed your word. And now what happens? The Bible says two years went by. Do you know how long two years is when you're just sitting there remembering that the, a, a person who you had, uh, had, had sent back to the to the side of Pharaoh is doing nothing but letting you rot there. What, you know, what did he do? Did he say, you know, Lord, this is it. Maybe it's true. Maybe there is no God. Maybe it's just we're all going to be worm food. But whatever the case is, I'm not following you anymore. It doesn't work. Did he do that or did he did in his heart remember what he had also been taught by his father that God is El Shaddai, God all-powerful, God almighty, and he would move heaven and earth to make sure that Joseph became the man that God wanted him to be and that every one of these terrible, awful situations that he was in were directly from the hand of God to prepare him for some incredible plan and purpose that God had for his life. Let me tell you, the harder it gets in your life, remember this, the better plan, the better thing that is right ahead of you, the the more incredible purpose that God is forming you and shaping you and pruning you. But you're going to have a choice Every single day this year, because 
everyone who tries to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will have obstacles thrown in your way every single day. Sometimes they'll, like, hit you the second you get out of bed. You know, you haven't even wiped your eyes, you know. And you'll have a hatchet going at you. What are you going to do? Don't let Satan rip you off. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's resolved in his heart to do a great work for, uh, in your life for you to be a different person in 2008 and, and, and possibly for you just to step into that, to that the, the, his will for your life, even as Joseph was eventually raised up to be, uh, after Pharaoh, the most powerful person in Egypt. Took a lot of preparing. It took a lot of day-to-day thinking, wow, you know, uh, I, I don't know. This is one, more obs- one too many obstacles for me. This Jesus stuff is not worth it. And so you and I will have that same choice in 2008. What does it say? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all the promises of God. In him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So even as God is working his grace, the Holy Spirit, through us, in order to believe those promises, the promises, he will be faithful to them. Let's pray. Worship team, you can come up. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for... That we can, we can begin the year, Lord, with resolutions, Lord, not the kind of resolutions that are just going to be tossed to the, to the wayside within a week, within a month, a few months, Lord, because they're dependent upon the strength of man. But God, we can just believe and resolve in our heart to... to live our life according to what you have resolved for us, Lord. And we know by your word that it's a good and perfect and wonderful resolution. God, how we love your resolutions for us. That there's an abundant life ahead of us. That there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's a... There's just a wonderful, fruitful occupation for our lives that you are pruning us, that you're molding us for, Lord. And I just pray, Father, for every single person in this room. Fill their hearts with faith, Lord. Fill my heart with faith that we all would realize, Father, that every promise is yes and amen in you, even as you work your grace through us. Father, I just pray that we would just go out here with a bubbly kind of optimism. Knowing that you're El Shaddai, God all-powerful, and that, Father, in the face of whatever's out there, not only are you faithful to your promise, Lord, you, you, we will see 
we'll see a harvest. We'll see men drawn to you even as we declare your, your word from day to day, your good news. God, I pray for each and every person here as they go into their neighbors, their families, their, their work, their school, Lord. God, do that in their life, Lord. Empower them, empower me. Father, we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please rise. We're closing a worship song. By the way, we do have communion tonight. If you'd like to join us for communion, please come tonight. Also, there'll be a couple people here after the service up here for prayer in case you just want someone to come alongside of you and pray for that resolution to live your life according to what God has resolved for you. God bless you.
shine your light in Let the whole world see We're singing for the glory of the risen King Savior, He can move the mountains My God is mighty to save He is mighty to save forever Author of salvation He rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave is mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave amen well god bless you guys have a great day